tell you what you're listening to. Welcome to Father Simon Says on Relevant Radio with Father Richard Simon. I'm here to answer your questions. Have a question? Give us a call. 1-888-914-9149. As any question you may have about the Lord, the faith, and the church, that's 1-888-914-9149. This is, in fact, a radio show called Father Simon Says on Relevant Radio. Well, hello. It's cold where I am. <clears throat> cough, heck, where I am. I decided the other night I'm transitioning from the hey, you kids get off the lawn stage of life to the I don't like the green jello, I want the pudding stage of life. But that's all right. Why should I bother you? Just because it's cold where I am, I hope it's warm where you are. I'm jealous. Let's pray in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful and kindle them the fire of your love. Send forth your spirit, that they shall be created, and you shall renew the face of the earth. Lord, you taught the nations by the light of the Holy Spirit. Grant us by that same spirit to have right judgment in all things, and evermore to rejoice in his comfort. Through Christ our Lord. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women. Blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Saint Michael the Archangel, defend us in battle. Be our defense against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, cast into hell Satan and all the evil spirits who prowl about the world, seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right, let's go. Let's open the big book on the coffee table. The opening reading today from Isaiah, the 40th chapter, first verse and following, is is such a beautiful reading. Comfort my people, says your God. And, and it's a funny, uh, that's going to be my word of the day, because that word goes through an odd uh, development. But uh, oddly enough... <clears throat> The uh, the word comfort, as it as means, well, I don't want to give away the word of the day, but oddly enough, the word comfort is a good translation of the Hebrew word, um, and and uh, it's it's uh, it goes through some interesting permutations, but we'll discuss that later. But comfort ye. Uh, um, in, in Hebrew, I, I, I have the word here, believe it or not, in Hebrew, and I don't know where I put it. Uh, let's see, Isaiah. Um, no, 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 that's the different one. Let's see, Isaiah. Ah, yes. It's, it's uh, related to the word for compassion. Uh, this is uh, Nahamu, uh, which uh, uh, I think it's related to the word for compassion, but it, it's, it means to, to, to console. Um, um, so console my people, uh, and and then it goes on to say um, that uh, her services and then that that really in Hebrew the word really is her struggle her warfare is at an end. Uh, it's it's a beautiful beautiful um, promise of God. So then the voice cries out in the desert, make straight uh, the uh, prepare way for the Lord, make straight in a waste on the highway. Every valley shall be filled in, every mountain hill shall be made low. This is describing the progress of the king through uh, 
through uh, his domains. Uh, and <clears throat> it was the responsibility of a town or a people. If you had if you had a house by the main road, it was your job to fill in the potholes and to level the bumps. These were not necessarily paved, they most certainly weren't paved highways, and they they were pretty rugged after a while. And the king was coming, so you had to prepare for him. And I think um, we don't take that seriously that uh for instance how how often do you prepare for mass i i'm not good at it you know and there are prayers prescribed for priests to prepare for mass how do you prepare to go to mass and i'm going to talk about that a little bit more in in the uh, in the mass hysteria segment i think it's an important thing but we prepare for the coming of the lord in all situations this idea well oh lord come and help me what have you done to prepare for his coming uh, well, you're saved by grace. There's, you know, that, that prejudice that I don't have to do anything. God's going to do it all for me. It's, I don't think it's biblical. We're to prepare the way of the Lord in our own hearts. Uh, every valley shall be filled in, every mountain be made low. Uh, um, then the glory of the Lord shall be re uh, revered. So, uh, revealed. Then another thing I want to hit on. The grass withers and the flower wilts. Usually the flower fades. That's how I always translate it. The word of our God stands forever. Uh, that is such a lovely, lovely thing. But the word, I just for the fun of it, I looked up the word um, uh, for for um, uh, for fades, uh, and it's nabel, which means foolish. It's an interesting word. Uh, it means uh, um, to be senseless, to be foolish. The flower loses its meaning. It becomes foolish. It becomes, uh, um, that's the primary meaning of the word. Uh, it, it, it wilts. <clears throat> it, it falls like a leaf. It loses its, its beauty. Uh, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And I, I think we really need to lay hold of that, that truth in our faith that that the word of the lord endures forever and this isn't that the, I, I suppose it includes the bible but when god has said something you can absolutely count on it the word of the lord when god speaks you can absolutely count on it now the, the question is has god said <laughs> uh i remember a pentecostal preacher it took me the longest uh, time to understand what he meant when he said when you begin something in the Lord, get your leading straight. You're going to need it. I didn't understand what he meant. You know, when the Lord says something, when you know that something is from the Lord, a calling, for instance, your vocation is your vocation to marriage, to, to be married to this woman, to this man. Uh, get that straight. Did God call you to this? Uh, well, I fell in love. Well, yeah, that's good. But did God call you to this? Um, me, to, I, I, I thank God. Uh, for the difficulties I had in seminary, uh, being involved in the Pentecostal slash charismatic movement, there were a number of teachers who didn't want me ordained. They were all the the progressive ones who <laughs> instinctively realized that the that the Pentecostal movement was was very traditional in a lot of ways. It was very um, <clears throat> very um, what's the word? Cogent. It's very much part of of a real catholic spirituality that you know it, well to put it simply it was it, it, catholicism believes in miracles so does pentecostalism 
uh, uh, my friend Father Rankin says that the, the problem in the church is not the people who um, uh, so-called conservative or liberal, but the people who believe in spiritualities and those who don't. And uh, I was in the seminary, I was taught all about Christ as, you know, Christ as moral paradigm, not a Christ as son of God, uh, risen from the dead. And um, so I think that there, there was just, there was a lot of pressure for me to leave the seminary from so many, so many quarters, both Protestant and Catholic. And I realized in the midst of it, I really wanted to be a priest. And, and I remember asking an old, an old priest, how do you know that you should be a priest? And this old priest said, if what you want in your deepest heart, uh, um, what you want in your deepest heart is usually what God wants, uh, not in your head. You know, the Lord promises to give us the desires of our heart. Most of us never know what the desires of our heart are, the desires of our head. But in trials and difficulties, God lets you know what is most important to you. And and I thank God for that, because that leading um was very powerful for me from the Lord. Uh, so you get your leading straight because um, the devil's going to try to shake it. The first question asked of, of Eve, has God said that you may not eat the fruit of the tree? The devil shook her leading. Uh, and so it is that, that uh, when God says something, you can count on it. It's not going away. Uh, things that are beautiful, like the flowers, they are novel. They're foolish. Ultimately, they lose their they lose their appeal. So I, I think that's a very beautiful thing. Well, let's go on to the gospel. But before we do, um, we're led into it that he, his reward is with him, like a shepherd he feeds his flock. In his arms he gathers the lambs, carrying them in in his bosom, the leading leading the ewes with care. That that takes us to the gospel. If a man has a hundred sheep, one of them goes astray. Will he not leave the ninety nine in the hills and go and search? <clears throat> of the stray, and if he finds it, amen, I say to you, he rejoices more over it than the ninety-nine who did not stray. I remember thinking, nah, it's a sheep, there'll be more, you know, what's, I got ninety-nine, why should I look for this one, risk my life going out into the wilderness to look for this sheep, and I remember talking to a priest who had been a shepherd at the feet of Mount Kilimanjaro before he came to this country and went into the seminary. He said, oh, no, sheep are very valuable. You lose one sheep, you go looking for that that uh, that sheep. Uh, and and um, you don't rest until you find it. Uh, <clears throat> but why is there more rejoicing over that one than over the 99 that did not stray? Well, that lost sheep. Sheep are very gregarious. They want to be part of a flock. And that one sheep that was lost... Is, is more valuable in a way. He rejoices more over that one because that she, this is my theory, that he, that sheep, that lamb knows something that that the other 99 don't. That lamb knows how much he needs a shepherd and how much he needs the flock. And so it is with us uh, that we stray. And, uh, uh, you know, I've known people who have been, who've left the Lord and, were so hungry to come home, didn't know how to do it uh, until someone led them home and welcomed them home. So, um, you know, this this idea of comforting uh, his people, the warfare is at the end. That lost sheep, your warfare is at an end. You can come home. And if you're listening to my voice and you've been away from the Lord in the church, 
You can come home. There's a way, no matter what your situation is. Don't let the devil <laughs> shake your leading. Don't let the devil tell you you can't go home. You can come home. Go to confession. Find a find a priest who's uh, a good pastor, a good shepherd, and, and he'll help lead your home no matter what your situation is. All right, we're going to go to a break a little early because I have a little more extended, a little more difficult uh, word of the, not word of the day, um, mass hysteria, but I've been thinking about this a lot. We'll be right back. The Relevant Radio Studio Line is sponsored by Catholic Order of Foresters. Information about employment opportunities and their flexible premium life insurance plans available at relevantradio.com slash forester. No, not this one. Guy who heard this one. <laughs> oh, proving once again that the newest and most nifty of songs get old. At any rate, the grass withers, the flower fades, and and pop songs get old. All right, let's go to mass hysteria. Cats living together, mass hysteria. I ended a, the teaching part a little early because I, I want to do an extended idea on mass hysteria, which may be a little complicated. And if it confuses me, I'm sure it will confuse. Well, maybe not. I'm easily confused. I have shared with you many, many times um, that there are three words in Greek, uh, actually four, which can be translated love in English. There is... Storgi, which is the the Latin word pietas, which means family devotion. Piety in Latin doesn't mean what we mean in English by it. Pietas is devotion to the family. Um, that's one form of love, storgi. Then you've got uh, eros, which from which we get the word erotic, but it really means that love which desires to possess the beloved. Then you get philia, which means mutual affection. And the two most common words uh, for love used by the Greeks in the time between the, in the intertestamental period, that would be like mm, 400 B.C. to the time of Christ, the two most common were philia and eros. And they, of course, could have a sexual meaning and especially a, a, a homoerotic meaning. And I, I have a theory that when the, the Hebrew translators of the, of the Hebrew scriptures uh, translated the, the the Hebrew word ahuva, which means love. It, it, it's very much like uh, the English word love. It can mean uh, um, physical and intimate love. It can mean uh, a spiritual love. Uh, but they they were hesitant to use the words eros and philia to translate the Hebrew word for love uh, because it could be misused and it could be used for relationships that were abhorrent to uh, the Jews. And so they chose a very little used word, agape. It, it was not a common word for love. What it, as far as I can tell, and there's a good book on it by C.S. Lewis, The Four Loves. Um, it's excellent. But as far as I can tell, in, in the classical, in classical Greek, Agape meant that innocent love of an adult for a child. And it came to mean, in Christian use, love that hopes for no return, sacrificial love. And I maintain that you could almost take the word love out of the Bible 
and put in the word sacrifice. The word agape in the New Testament is used uh, almost exclusively, uh, except for maybe nah, 10 times, I'm just guesstimating, uh, certainly not more than 10 times. Uh, eros is never used, philia is used, uh, uh, as I said, maybe 10 times. But it's agape. In the Old Testament, exclusively, the Greek translation of the Hebrew Scriptures is agape. Sacrificial love. So that changes a lot. God is sacrifice. Think of it that way. Instead of saying God is love, just roll that around in your brain for a minute. God is sacrificial. If God is sacrifice, that the source and the, the, the high point of human life, the purpose of human life is sacrifice. That's absolutely contrary to my nature. <laughs> I, I don't want that to be true. But I think it's biblical. God is sacrificial love. He's not just warm, fuzzy feelings. God is sacrificial love. Now you see maybe where I'm going with this. The world we live in is in chaos at the moment. Now I'm going to say something which may at first seem very outlandish. I believe the reason our civilization, Greco-Roman, Judeo-Christian civilization, whether it is in Asia or Africa or, or the Europe or the States or Australia, um, this civilization is in chaos because of liturgical abuse. Huh? Yeah, I, I'll pin it squarely on liturgical abuse. How, what, th th that's ridiculous. Uh, listen, listen, you may not think it's that ridiculous. Our civilization, Judeo-Christian, Greco-Roman, was geared for 1,005, well, 1, 000, let's say 1,000 years. You know, the civilization became Christian about 500 A.D. And for the next 1,000 years, that entire civilization was from Constantinople to, to Reykjavik, Iceland. Uh, that civilization was built around something called the sacrifice of the Mass. Think about it. Every Sunday, every European, every Mediterranean person who was Christian, every Scandinavian who was Christian, had to go to a sacrifice. Uh, th that was that was what they did—an unbloody representation of the sacrifice of Calvary—and they thought of it as a sacrifice, even if they didn't go. They were made to feel guilty for not going to a sacrifice. And it didn't have to be a, a great, marvelous, exciting thing. It, they just had to kneel in submission to God once a week. And that sacrifice, if you wanted to participate fully in it, to receive communion, up until the time when I was very young, you had to sacrifice to do so. You fasted from midnight, from water and food, nothing past your lips. And going to communion was rather rare in my youth because it was very difficult, especially if you were a parent or had to work, that sort of thing. And it was very, very difficult for the priests. Imagine you had the 10 o'clock Mass and you could not even drink water. You couldn't brush your teeth lest you swallow some water if you were really careful about it. Uh, um, this was very sacrificial. And it created a society in which sacrifice was valued. And that ended, that began to end, 
around 1525 A.D., when Martin Luther and and um, John Calvin and the Reformers said that Mass was not a sacrifice, that Mass existed for the instruction and consolation of the faithful. In other words, the central service of that movement ceased to be directed at God, but was directed at us. We ceased. Now, I, I know some, some Protestants who are deeply sacrificial, who are much better Christians than I am. I'm not saying, I'm not impugning any single sect or, 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 or group, but I'm saying conceptually, we, abandoned, we began to abandon the idea of sacrifice as being the, um, the motivating principle of the society. Now, it wasn't a perfect society, but it is fascinating to me how that breakup was followed by the wars of religion, which led inevitably to the wars of the 20th century in which Europe lost its faith. The collapse of European civilization I think you can make the case, began in the 1500s. I really think you can make that case. Uh, before that, of course, there were wars and there were horrible things that happened. But in general, there was a sense of, of, of a coherent society called Christendom. And it broke up. Uh, at the, I, I don't know, maybe I'm, maybe I'm really stretching it. But, but I, I look at... at what we have done in order to make the mass more entertaining and more more enjoyable and to to get more people to come because it's fun that's counterproductive it denies the essential truth of scripture that god is love god is not a warm fuzzy feeling and love is not a warm fuzzy feeling and a mass that engenders a warm fuzzy feeling it might feel good and I have nothing against warm, fuzzy feelings being an old Pentecostal. But when we make that the principle of our religion, which I think is the reason for liturgical abuse, to make Father to make the congregation good or feel good, or even worse, Father to make himself feel good about it. Liturgical, you see what I mean when I say liturgical abuse is at the heart of the collapse of our society. What can I get out of it? What store window can I break and take things? What, what drug can I take to make me feel better? What relationship or which carnal practice can I indulge in to make me happier? You know, purpose of life. If God is sacrificial love, the purpose of life is sacrificial love and mass exists to invite us to enter into the mystery of God, which is sacrificial love. Maybe I'm stretching it, but I lay awake last night thinking about these things, and I thought, you know, the mess that we are in, the, the disaster that we are facing, is because uh, 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 um, we used to joke that the city motto of Chicago was, uh, was herbs in horto, which means a city in a garden, but it really is ubi est meum, where's mine? And that's what we're saying. Where's mine? Where's mine? Well, I think that um, the case can be made that liturgical abuse, beginning with the, the liturgical abuses of the 1500s. Uh, now, you know, I can, I can, you can say, well, this is all anti-ecumenical. <laughs> there were liturgical abuses <laughs> in the liturgies 
the Catholic liturgies, the gorgeous music that, it, that the that the court composers made, so that mass was at least as enjoyable as a really good concert. You know, ubiest man, where is mine? So, I think that the collapse of our society and liturgical abuse. <laughs> I do, uh, related, and I, I wonder if, if at least in the church, we will not restore order until we restore a sense of liturgy. And again, I'm not talking about the old mass, the new mass. I'm talking about my attitude to mass as a celebrant and my attitude to mass as a congregant, that I will go to the altar of the Lord. Uh, uh, that's, uh, you know, a and to God who gives joy to my youth, as the psalm said in the old opening prayers of Mass. Enough. We're going to go to a break. We will open the phones at 888-914-9149. 888-914-9149. The weirdest Mass hysteria yet. 888-914-9149. And we'll come back with letters, and then we'll open the phones. Oh, and the word of the day. I don't mind entertaining stuff. I really don't. I just think that Mass isn't meant to be entertaining. It's meant to be beautiful, which is different than entertaining. All right, let's go to letters. This is from Bob in Chicago. Every time I hear or read the story of the paralytic being lowered through the roof, I wonder the same thing. I wonder if when everyone was gone, Jesus got up there and fixed Peter's roof. <laughs> Somehow the idea of it pleases me. No end. I mean, once a carpenter, always a carpenter. What do you think? I wouldn't be surprised if he did either, Bob. I think that's kind of cool. It's it's a lovely thing to see or to think of, that Jesus is up there fixing the, the hole in the roof that they'd made. Uh, this is a little more serious. This is from uh, uh, an anonymous person uh, who is listening to the, the schmear on uh, uh, the woman who called in whose husband is addicted to pornography. Um, and he said that he was uh, addicted to pornography, um, and it's extremely difficult. I mean, he, he really had a, a deliverance and, and a repentance uh, in the Lord. And, and, uh, but he says, you go, you go out and, and, you know, women are practically wearing no clothing in the grocery store, that sort of thing. And it's, it's a real struggle. Uh, and it's, so he's encouraging that woman to hang in there. And he mentioned that there are, there are organizations and uh, doctors who will help with that. Um, he talks about a group that I don't know about, so I really can't recommend them. But he talks about the Kingsmen um, that offer healing retreats on that. And he mentions a book, again, which I can't recommend because I have not read it, For Women Only. Um, uh, so so don't don't give up. Uh, if you are, are uh, the loved one of someone who has that horrible addiction, uh, don't give up. Because, well, uh, you know... The gates of hell will not prevail against it. Yeah, yeah. It, I, you get the website to the Kingsmen. Is that what uh, the voice of my head just said? Yeah. The uh, um, uh, yeah. Um, I, I again, I don't know that I can recommend it, but it's easy to find the website. So look at it uh, again. I don't know enough about it to recommend it, 
but um, don't give up. There are lots of resources. And this person who wrote the letter is a Catholic and um, recommends it. So I'll, I'll trust his recommendation uh, until I can learn my, myself. Well, this is a letter here from Charles. Uh, um, the You often make con- connections between writings of the Bible. Well, they're pretty connected. I was excited to hear you speak about the widow's mite being possibly similar to the leptons on the eyes of Christ. Uh, I did a quick search um, and found a paper from Father Phylus, especially, uh, about the subject, and I humbly include the link, which I, I I always tell you I can't open links. I don't open links on the uh, on the uh, relevant radio website, lest I infect the whole network. But I will look that up. But I I knew Father Phylus. He was one of my teachers in in uh, college, and uh, uh, it's not hard to find Father Phylus paper on on the leptons. And I remember having a long conversation with. Uh, Barry Schwartz, a, a brilliant man. He was the photographer on the Shroud of Turin research box. And he has an excellent site. He being a, 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 a very, very professional uh, uh, photographer, wondered if there was enough resolution to, to say that there were actually coins on the Shroud. I think that idea of coins on the Shroud uh, that are legible has made a bit of a comeback uh, one of the things that really makes me think that it's accurate was that Father Phylus predicted, uh, looking at the coins on the shroud, he predicted that there would be coins minted by Pontius Pilate that were that had spelling mistakes. The, one of the coins on on the eyes, uh, the so-called coins on the eyes of the man of the shroud, uh, Father Phylus claimed spelled Caesar with a C. And people said, Phylus, you're crazy. Everybody knows Caesar spelled with a K in Greek, and it would have been they would have been printed in Greek. And he said, Yes, well, everyone knows what a what a terrible administrator Pilate was, and how he was a crook, and he was very poor at uh, coin minting. Uh, so I'll find I'll go find some coins. And he went down to Marshall Fields in Chicago and found not one but two coins with the Pilate misprint, uh, using a C instead of a K for Caesar. It was Kaiser, in Greek, with a K. And one of them had, uh, I think, 70 points of congruence between the the, the so-called thought-of sh- uh, coin on the shroud. Uh, to prove a fingerprint in the court of law, I think you only need 12 points of congruence or something like that. But uh, it was so close to the coin on the shroud that it had to have been minted in the same coin press. Uh, so... Uh, I think I think there's a real chance that that's true. And the amazing thing is that that dates the shroud to sometime around 29 AD, I think, and and locates it in the times of Pilate. Very interesting. Okay, let's see here. I got a letter from John uh, that I wanted to um, uh, mention. Where did I put it? Oh, there it is. Uh, it's a, uh, um, um, this is from, from John Paul, uh, as a mnemonic to help me remember the theological term unconditional reality this morning, I said aloud the first, uh, the first letters of each word, you are, I heard a voice in my head say, yes, I am unconditioned reality. God is unconditioned reality. I think one can say, yes, I am at any rate. Thanks, John. Um, uh, I love the word mnemonic. 
mnemonic. It's from the Greek word anemnesis, uh, which means remembrance. So a mnemonic is something to help you remember, and it's not a mnemonic possession. I I joke. All right, uh, let's see. Let's do one more letter before we go to phones. I got a letter about green burials. Very interesting. Dear Father, have you heard of green burials? Have you any experience? No, I've never been buried in a green way myself. You speak occasionally about our crazy burial practices. Yeah, I, you know, the, the metal the metal box inside the concrete box. I remember my cousin from Germany saying, what do you guys think in America? You're pharaohs? Uh, the um, green burials, as I understand... Are you just uh, you just bury the person in the ground the way we used to do it, but that that's something also very interesting. Do you remember the old churchyards? In other words, you go up to an old church and it's surrounded by graves, and that changed around oh beginning I think around the eighteen thirties or forties, when they were developing this new more kind of mystical natural religion that you wanted burials in great parks out in the will out in the country uh to express your returning to nature i don't know if you were forced to read the poem thanatopsis a grim poem about well when i die i'll go back to nature uh and it was kind of a reaction to the strictures of religion and the, the cemetery the big cemetery out on the outskirts of town uh was actually part of a philosophical movement that wasn't exactly anti-Christian, but it wasn't exactly Christian to be buried in a beautiful, uh, bucolic, rural, natural setting. Uh, you know, I, but uh, for some reason, I, I heard it was because of the funeral lobbies. Uh, we could we no longer can bury people in a simple wooden box. Uh, I know in Germany that the, the cemetery is uh, uh, on the edge of town, but uh, it's reused, and a grave is declared reusable every 20 years, so all your people are in the same place. Um, and it is quite green. So uh, this idea of, of green burials is an old idea, and I wonder why we can't go back to it, the simple, the simple burial uh, instead of the pharaonic burials of today. Well, that's a pleasant thing. With that said, uh, let's, let's go to, let's go to calls. Uh, we can go to calls now, I think, or we'll go to a, no, no, no. Did we, no, we'll go to the word of the day. Yes. Word of the day. Word of the day. Let's go to the word of the day. You know, in the first reading, uh, it says comfort ye my people. And that's actually what it says in Hebrew. But very interestingly in the Septuagint, it says, it uses the word, uh, um, uh, where did I put my Septuagint reading? It, it uses the word paracliti, which the Holy Spirit is called the paraclete, which is translated in Latin as comforter. The original meaning of the word comfort in English, or in, in the Latin word, meant to strengthen. And a paraclete, the paraclites, was a lawyer for the defense who stood beside the uh, uh, the accused and whispered into his ear what he was to say to the jury, because lawyers didn't speak. Uh, the, the paraclete uh, in Latin was translated the advocate, the advocato, someone called to your side. And the idea was they supported you, they lifted you up. And, and uh, that's the idea of the paraclete. But the word in the text is, is in, in the Vulgate, is consolamini, which means what we mean, what we mean now by comfort, which is closer to the Hebrew word. I don't know if this is at all helpful, but I, I thought it's interesting they translated it, strengthen the people. 
that that to comfort doesn't mean just to make things easier and in certain contexts it means uh, to make people stronger so the holy spirit is is the strengthener uh, um uh, so I, I don't know i just find that interesting the the strengthener all right uh let's go to phone calls shall we go to phone calls this is smart maxwell smart are you who we got now i get your voice in my head mary from st paul are you with us yeah i am um, good what I can i do question. for you sure yeah i have a nephew who is getting married he was baptized in the Protestant church even though my brother was raised Catholic. He never went forward with his faith, with his mm-hmm. family, but his son was baptized in a Protestant church. He's marrying someone who's Jewish. And he per- refers mm-hmm. to both of themselves as not being very religious, and they're getting married mm-hmm. in a, a public building, mm-hmm. and the you know ceremony is going to be all 10 minutes. So my question is, um, you know, should I attend this wedding? And Second of all, is this a marriage in God's eyes? So, well, neither of them, neither of them are uh, are baptized Catholic, right? This nephew was never baptized in the Catholic Church, correct? No, his brother was. He has two brothers. But they he were, was but not. This one, he was not. Then you are free to go to that wedding, and um, they're the ministers of the sacrament. However, she not being baptized in any religion, we would not consider that marriage sacramental, but it would still be valid in the sense that they have made a uh, a covenantal commitment to each other. So I suppose you'd say they were married in, in the sight of God. Um, uh, only a Catholic what is happened? held to the Catholic form of, of marriage. So, yeah, you can go. Well, what about you couldn't go to they, you couldn't wait. go to the wedding of either brother. But go on. What if what? Um, what if they, you know, really don't believe in God? I mean, Ben has discussed with me that he really isn't sure that there's a God. He doesn't really believe in God. Is his well, they're, they're not. They're not claiming uh, to. They're not claiming. Uh, they're not being dishonest about it. You see, one of the problems if a person is 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 Catholic, they have a responsibility. Uh, to be married, not only in the sight of God, but in in the reality of God. These two people are not being dishonest. You're not you are not lying uh, to 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 uh, 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 to participate in what they're doing. They're not claiming uh, to be religious people. Um, I know that's a little complicated. But you're free to go to it. And in fact, as I would go to it um, to strengthen that relationship. Now, if either of the brothers want you to go to their wedding, to them, you couldn't go. I said, what, you went to you went to this kid's wedding? Why can't you come to ours? Because you owe God something that he didn't. <laughs> Interestingly, he was never he was never sworn into a covenant with God. They were. So yeah, you're free to go to that wedding as far as I can understand. I might I might just go to the party, though. Uh, you know, instead of standing in a field, sinking into the mud, being bitten by bugs, as you listen to some druid rant on and on about love. So that's just my opinion. But uh, does that does that help? It does. But what happens if you went to a wedding with two baptized, confirmed Catholics who did not get married in the Catholic Church? And, yeah. don't you know, they believe in God and Jesus, but I don't mm-hmm. know if they... So, 
if well, I attended wedding, which I did. <laughs> well, I you mean, didn't. You didn't. These things are so confusing now. Don't don't go back and think. Oh, I committed a terrible sin. No, you you didn't know from 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 what you know. So no, don't don't beat yourself up about it. You know, um, uh, if you feel really bad about it, you can confess in your next confession. But in, in other words, in order to commit a sin, uh, especially a grave sin, you have to know it's a sin. So uh, um, uh, you can claim ignorance in that case, I suspect, because things are so confusing and the teaching has been so unclear in in many areas. But you see, when a person enters into a covenant relationship with God, more is expected of them. And when we baptize kids, you know, these people secretly baptize children, um, I wouldn't do that because you're holding them to something that they cannot live up to. Uh, and they won't get the chance to do it. So hope that helps a little. Perfect. Thank you. And God always. bless. All right. Well, thanks for listening. Who, whom do we have now, dear voice in my head? Mario from New Jersey, what can I do for you? Hi, Father. Um, I uh, an observation and a question. I when I was visiting some relatives, I went to a ma- uh, mass at their church, local church, and what struck me was that um, the, the first thing was that the mass was so packed on a weekday at nine o'clock, and then mm-hmm. when the mass started, wow. the priest did the mass. Um, yeah, there was almost like 200 people there, um, families, wow. young people, old. But what the difference was, and I had never seen this before, was that the priest said the whole Mass in English with his back to the people facing the tabernacle, yeah. which was in the center, mm-hmm. which I think yeah. they said it's ad orientum. Ad orientum, um, toward it, the east, yeah. And my my feeling, it was like it was really a, a beautiful experience to just do yeah. that. And I went to the Mass the next day. The thing is, I I mean, you've talked about it so many times about the sacredness of the Mass and how it's all about God. We're there to worship. I, I It seems like such a simple thing to me. I even talked to my own parish priest about maybe trying that. I don't know. Do yep. they need special permission from the bishop? I mean, it seems like a thing that would really just get people to focus again, not on the entertainment part of the Mass, but on, on the Eucharist. I, I well, know you know, done it's, more often. it's it's very interesting, very interesting that if you read the rubrics, that is the red letter stuff in the uh, in the mass, it it seems to imply that the priest, is, when the priest is talking to God, he faces away from the people. When the priest is talking to the people, he faces the people. That makes sense. If I if I look at you while I'm talking to the guy over on my left, that's very confusing. And as I always say, uh, uh, mass facing the people is is fine for a very holy priest and a very holy congregation. But it's I, it's very difficult to to not focus on on the people at whom you are looking, and so you direct the mass at them. But uh, there are some bishops who are fine with it, and some bishops who are not. And the Lord is pleased with obedience. So I always say, obey your bishop on that. But if it was up to me, I would I would uh, obey the rubrics in the in the book. And when I'm talking to the people, I'll face the people. When I'm talking to God, I'll face with the people toward the Lord. Uh, uh, it's a powerful symbol. And it just sounds like that priest, uh, the pastor of that parish, uh, understands that Mass is not about him. It's not his moment to shine in, in the spotlight, which is probably why it's packed with young people and families and, and on a weekday. So I think you, your point is well taken. And I, I wish that more people would look at it um, with an open mind. Uh, but, no, 
What, what, what can we do? Well, thanks for calling and thanks for listening. Who do we have now, dear voice in my head? Alexis from Philadelphia. What can I do for you, Alexis? Yes, Father, I have a question. As an extraordinary minister, I had gone down from the choir loft with my picks to be able to get mm-hmm. Eucharist for mm-hmm. the choir. The priest mm-hmm. refused to give me Eucharist. Mm-hmm. One of the lay extraordinary ministers did. Now, I feel kind of in a strange way about that because am I disobeying the fourth commandment and disrespecting Father by doing that? Well, did you go talk to the priest afterwards? I had spoken to him prior to Mass several times about taking Eucharist to the choir, and I spoke to him after Mass, and he just was very gruff about things. Huh, I don't know. I wonder why he was having a bad day. Um, you know, um, I, don't, I don't think you did anything with ill intention. It's what you've been doing and what was apparently was the custom. And was he a, a new priest or, or not the usual uh, pastor? No, he's, he's been in this parish about two years now. Hmm. And he is the pastor. That's very interesting. And he wouldn't, he wouldn't, uh, well, I would go to, he is the pastor. Yes. I would go talk to him, and then if he refuses to talk to you, I would go with another member of the choir. And, and uh, you know, that's what the Bible says, Matthew, the 18th chapter, 19th verse and following. Uh, if you have something with a brother, in this case he's a brother, go talk to him. If he if he won't hear you, then go with another. And if, if hmm. then I would just, you know, then I would just, after that, if he refuses to talk to the two of you, I would say, well, that's that. Um I guess I'm not going to try to help the choir anymore with that. They can all go down for communion. <laughs> you know, I, 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 that does seem odd behavior. Um, if, if he no longer wants that to happen, um, well, then he should tell you. I mean, this is something you've done regularly. Well, it's, it's something we do not have enough extraordinary ministers in the parish. And, we have expressed to each other, because he and I have spoken about it several times, the need to have an extraordinary minister who would be willing to take Eucharist up to the choir. Oh, but he, and, he had you know, delegated going, you. Going down with a pix, you know, it oh, wasn't he, oh, he, you know, delaying oh, he, the mass, having to return the sororium so, or anything like that. So at, at no point had he said to you, would you do this? I did tell him that I was an extraordinary minister and I was willing well, yeah, to Yeah, but he, he at no point said to you, would you do that service for me? In other words, you no, took that on yourself. Not. Yeah, I, I, yes. I, I'd let it rest. I'd let it rest and, until, um, uh, until, um, uh, until he, I, I, I would let it rest in this case. And that might have been what he was gruff about, that, that, that you had made a decision that he wasn't sure of yet. Uh, so I, I would let it rest, uh, and, um, just write a note saying, Father, I'm sorry if I offended you. Yeah, I'd write him a note in this case. I'm sorry if I offended you in any way, but I would be happy to help in this if you would like me to. Uh, that's what I would leave it at. And then it's up to him to decide how the choir is going to get communion, which is an important thing. So, uh, uh, that's what I would do. I hope that helps a little. But um, again, thanks Thank for listening. You, Father. Uh, God bless you. Hey, let's get one more phone call. Who have we got, dear voice in my head? Ken from Minnesota. What can I do for you, Ken? 
Hi, Father. If a person cannot make a Sunday Mass, Holy Mass, a uh, uh, Holy Day of Obligation, one priest said you have to have get a dispensation from a priest first. The second one uh, who was a uh, priest was asked was that um, you don't have to because uh, even Jesus would say that you can't do what you can't do. Yeah, yeah, you can't do nemo quite on habit, as we used to say. No one gives what he ain't got. Yeah. <laughs> if you're living on a mountaintop, I'm sure Jesus didn't say ain't, but there you if go, you're living but, on a mountaintop uh, somewhere and you can't do it, you can't do it. Or if there isn't a mass available or you're ill or something, yeah. There are automatic exemptions uh, which have to do with cannot. Not I don't want to, but I, I can't. No, no, no. I, I, now, this, I, one, I this had do to that. do with transportation. Yeah. No, there. no, you're not you're not responsible. I would agree with the priest who said uh, that you can't if you can't you can't. You know. Hmm. Okay. You know, okay. listen to mass on relevant radio, especially especially if it's a Sunday or a holy day. We always have mass, I think every day on, on the radio. I know we have mass every day on the radio. So just listen sure to do. it and do your best. Yeah, there you go. All okay. right. I hope Thanks. that's uh, that's have that's how day. I'd come down on it. So um you know, you want to serve the Lord, and that's good. Now, speaking of wanting to serve the Lord, Drew is coming up, and uh, um, he likes serving the Lord. And he does a good job on it, especially that Divine Mercy Chapel. That amazes me. Uh, biggest prayer meeting in history. All right, I'm out of here. Drew is in. Go nowhere. Well, unless you're driving. <laughs>